Hello there. Welcome to the next episode of 45 Not Out. I hope you're enjoying the series so far. This time, my guest is Amanda Coleman, former Director of Communications with Greater Manchester Police and is well known in the PR and communications sphere. In the episode, Amanda talks about her very recent change of career, launching her own business alongside the release of her first book. So I'm especially grateful to Amanda for taking the time out at this crucial time for her. She also talks about why she decided to go out on her own and the process of getting a book published and out there on the shelves. All empowering stuff. However, may I just add my usual rider at this current time. Like a few previous episodes, it's been recorded during the coronavirus lockdown and was done online instead of the far better one-to-one scenario I usually prefer. So for this reason, please excuse any dropout and odd silences in communication. These were just symptomatic of how the recording was done. However, I'm absolutely certain it doesn't detract from Amanda's powerful messages and her intrinsic wisdom. It was a complete joy to listen to her. So without delay, here's Amanda. Hi, welcome back to 45 Not Out. Thank you for coming along. We're on episode six now, can you believe? And I'm delighted to have with talking to me Amanda Coleman. Amanda is a PR guru, absolutely. Um, She started her own venture. Thank you for taking the time to come here. Now, I've just quickly outlined your new venture. Um, What made you start it, Amanda? Was it a long ambition to go out on your own, capitalising on the experience that you'd had over your career? Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that's probably what it was. Um, I think... My mum's always said I'm a difficult person to manage. Um, <laughs> and I come from a long family of um, people who've been self-employed. So it's always been something I wanted to do was to try and do it on my own, make it on my own. And um, whilst I've loved everything I've done in, in different ways over the years, um, for me, this was just something that I really wanted to do. And for me, the experience I've had very much pushed me to do crisis communications. And that's why um, that's that's my area of specialism. And that's what I want to, to really focus on. So, yeah, Amanda Coleman Communications Limited was set up um, and it just happened to be the first day was the 23rd of March when we all went into lockdown. So it was a, it's a challenging start, but um, I'm still focused and keeping pushing ahead so you know trying to keep optimistic about the future and um take all the opportunities that that come up okay brilliant so presumably along the way if if you've been thinking about this you'll have a bit of a business plan um either written or in your head or whatever ultimately what would your vision be for the new business yeah, I, I was going to say, I absolutely did that and I had a business plan. And funnily enough, I was just looking at it the other day and realising how far away it was from from what I am actually kind of doing at the minute. It's really hard at the minute I th- with everything that's happening to plan too far ahead. So my, my vision at the moment is quite... Um, 
sort of short term and then very, very big picture. So for me, short term, I want to just build as much as I can um, and, uh, and and kind of get out and about and, um, and build the business. Um, and in a longer term, I really do want to get to a point where hopefully we can change the way people are perhaps approaching dealing with crisis communication. That that's all my ultimate is you know that was the 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 reason I wrote the book that um I've written um was very much to focus people on moving away from the very structured process driven approach to uh, crisis communication and to build in all the very really, really most important things which are you know the humanity empathy and the, and the elements around people. Brilliant, brilliant. So that that's obviously your big message Amanda and on, on the back of that um talk about serendipity and everything we're doing this podcast and just this last weekend your first book was was published um just give us the title of the book Amanda yes it's called crisis communication strategies um, and then it's got a very long bit underneath where it says about how to uh, deal with planning plan and basically it follows from planning right the way through to recovery. Um, and it was published by Kogan Page. Um, uh, it's been sort of two years in development, really, from the very initial idea, because like all books, these things take ages to go through all the processes before you even get to the point of having it written and rewritten and then published. And I could have never imagined when I was sat writing it what the world might look like when it actually got published. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been um, a really interesting time. Um, it, you know, ultimately, it's always something I've wanted to do. I love writing. So for me, actually writing a book was just a, a dream. Um, the fact that I managed to do it as well around crisis communication, which is what I'm so passionate about, is even better for me, you know. Um, it's just been it's just been a dream to be able to do that. I, I would imagine, Amanda, there'll be a few people listening to this that probably have draft books either committed to paper, to screen, or in the head. Um, obviously, you you have you have a high profile in the PR world, and particularly in crisis communications, um, given sort of the uh, uh, positions that you've had previously. In, in, in fact, it's, as you say, it's published by Kogan Page. How hard was it to sort of actually get a publishing deal? Um, it's it's an odd one. This, I mean, it's I was extremely lucky, and I don't think I realised how lucky I was until I thought about it a, lo- a long time later. Um, because I, I literally uh, only ever approached Kogan Page. I um, on their website they've got a, a process of how to put together a submission of what you'd like to put you know what you'd like to do and and the process was quite lengthy really because you you put your ideas together then you have a discussion and then but I, uh, and then it went to a, the board and then they decide obviously the, if they want to commission it and so it, it does go through quite a long, a long process um but they decided to and and I actually never approached anybody else so you know, I was talking to people. I mean, you've got to be prepared to take knockbacks and then go to another publishers. If you're sure that your idea is is a sound one, um, and you can see the the benefits to it, and it's a, you know it's going to open something new, then just keep plugging away because it's. I was extremely lucky, and and I see that. But you know, there are 
people all the time that are getting books, uh, you know, getting book deals and getting books published. So you've just got to really be trusting in, you know, what you want to do and the ideas that you've got for, for whatever book it is and just go for it. Yeah. So it, there was no JK Rowling um, <laughs> scenario going on there. It just, I suppose, really, just from a pure marketing point of view, you just need to make sure is, well, says me, that's never um, even thought of, of writing a book. But just just from a marketing standpoint, you sort of do your research and whatever you talk, you, topic you're talking about, just make sure that that's maybe a specialist or a strength of the publisher that you're approaching. I mean, it, is the ways and means you can find that out, Amanda? Is that, did did yeah. you have to do much of that? Yeah, I did some online searching to look at who published books um, around sort of PR, marketing, communications. Um, and uh, so I had an idea of that. I also knew, having done some sort of searching around crisis communication books, um, what was already out there. So, I, you know, I could say that what I was going to do wasn't already out there. It was going to take a different take on it. So I've always said this book isn't a theory. It isn't um, a very process-driven book. Yeah, there are processes in it, but it's not one of those um, kind of com uh, crisis communications books that go through uh, the theory of doing crisis communications. It's very much the practical and the lived experience and um, case studies and real kind of events. Um, and that's what I always wanted to do um, was try and, and take that different um, sort of angle on the whole aspect of it. And also, to you know, most training and, and, and any kind of work around crisis communication is how to deal with the initial events and, the, and that immediacy of what happens. And I wanted to make sure that there was a, as enough attention focused on the end and the move from crisis to recovery which many experiences I've had and everything I've looked at is more problematic than the start you know it's more complicated there's more complexity there's more issues to deal with there's more challenges in in that point than there is really right back at the start yeah absolutely and just sort of you've mentioned sort of a few ideas there that are obviously within the book but if if there's any sort of business owners listening to this and maybe just the situation that we're in with coronavirus or um like something else happened on top of that or, or just in general day-to-day -day business life what's what would be your number one tip that a company can do when when they experience a crisis and have to sort of do damage lim limitation or whatever what, what was the what's the number one tip that you would give them it's really difficult to pick one tip <laughs> because I've, Sorry. I've rambled on for i've rambled on for 221 pages about it now i mean the key <laughs> bit is you would hope that they've done some crisis planning um but i accept that it with um businesses and organizations being squeezed as much as they have been over recent years that often that's something that gets pushed out so the key bit for me though is to think about how you're going to communicate and what it will look like and feel like for the people who either have been affected or who are your customers who are your stakeholders whoever try to put try to approach it by looking outwards in rather than inwards out um because that will help you then to produce communication and, and you know, go forward with hopefully within a supported environment where people can see what you're trying to deal with and can help and support you rather than you just telling people um, 
so it's yeah I, i'm not sure that that's a, a subtle uh, kind of one thing but um but definitely try and remember the people um that yeah, you're, no, I, have been affected I, no, brilliant explanation there amanda and, and probably the one key thing to remember is outside in not inside out mm-hmm. i mean yeah sums it up beautifully Okay, so that's at the present time, but to get to where you are now and to have the expertise and the experience and the knowledge to be able to put into the book and to launch your own consultancy, you've obviously had quite a career path and you've held some very senior positions. Um, Just within that, and and, and a lot of the time as well, you've probably worked in maybe some quite male-dominated scenarios has there been a time when you've probably how can I say this not got the the uh, recognition that you deserved and and what I'm getting at here is obviously the premise of the podcast is for women over 45 getting the recognition value and, and support that they need and we all know that that's not there in the workplace regardless of what sphere or sector they work in so probably what I'm getting at is it, has there been any time, and we don't have to name names, but has has there been any times when you've done it, you've sort of gone all out, done a piece of work, or worked with a team, and it hasn't really come to anything? And if you don't want to answer this, just say. No, it's. I mean, yeah, I think everybody's faced that, haven't they? Um, I mean, my background, I started. I mean, to be fair, I think my working life um, up until this point has been in very male dominated environments. I started as a journalist and that's traditionally quite a male environment anyway. It's very macho sort of approach. Um, And then I've done, just come out of doing sort of 20 years within police communications and policing, even though it's improved massively. um, When I started back in 1999, it was, it was so, it, it was so different and it was a real shock to me when I went in um, and you know a big shock when you do a piece of work and you know I was quite junior at that stage um, and you would have um, um, an inspector or somebody else who went to the bosses as if it was theirs and you're sat there going well I've just done all that work for you so I mean it's it, it's difficult because you you, you all, the only way I tried to approach it was to do everything I could to make sure that people could see what I could bring, what I was doing, um, and that I was the person that had the um, trust um, going forward. And that was a hard slog, um, as I say. It's, it's you know it's not something that happens overnight, and you know you've just got to keep keep the faith, keep plugging away, and. You know, uh, and hope you know. Hopefully, you'll get there. And you know that for me, um, I don't think there's any other easy answer. It's a very difficult environment. And you know, you look. I look back, having come out of sort of a corporate um, world, and realised that I was constantly trying to be so much better than everybody else. Because I think you've got that feeling that you've got to keep proving yourself, and you've got to keep showing that you, you know. And in a way. And, I, and you know, I'll say this, in a way, I think as a woman, you do it more. I think you 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 find yourself doing that. Um, and I think you also you need a, much, a really strong support network. So I've been very lucky. I've had I've, I've had loads of support um, around me over the years from friends and family and, you know, other colleagues and, and things like that, which are really invaluable because it's very isolating as well. And then you get to that you know you know imposter syndrome why do, am I doing the right thing is this you know it you've 
got to try and find a way to banish that sort of negative self-talk stuff and and the, the issues that you you know you might feel um and keep focused on what you want to do it's it's not easy it's not easy and um you know and I've and it's not been easy um I've had a great time but I've had some very difficult days within that as well yeah, I can imagine. And and as well, obviously, we're talking about the career path that you took there and the organisations that you worked there. But just some of the things you've alluded to there, Amanda. I mean, I, I know I sort of I've had um, myself and my, my peers sort of the same sort of thing. Like you go all out with a piece of work and maybe you're a bit surprised that you've been asked to do it. And then you present it to somebody. And, and, and as you say, maybe at board level or whatever, it gets presented as that other person's piece of work and that, that's just typical isn't it and maybe it's a generational thing and and certainly um when I started working sort of in in the mid 80s and, and sort of my generation that did that 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 happened and the annoying thing is is I think and, and I don't know whether you'd agree with this Amanda we just accepted it didn't we it's just like oh it's par for the course there's not a lot I can do about it so let's get on with the next thing yeah you did and, and I think you, you sort of half accepted it and kind of then went well I won't do that again or I will make sure that I don't get put put in that position again um so and, and in some ways you could get quite defensive and build up a barrier so it, it's uh it's difficult I think the, the on a positive if you're trying to see a positive out of this I it was something I made sure I never did to anybody um when I was in a, a more senior position I made sure that people were put to speak before the board or would go and do presentations or whatever um and I wouldn't pass anything you know so I think anybody that's kind of been through that experience and then ends up in a more senior position um I would hope that they were you know they would be the same and that they would make sure they would never do that again and I have to say it 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 definitely seemed to get better um in more recent years so hopefully that might not be as prevalent perhaps as it used to be yeah brilliant with that Amanda that was going to be my next question to be honest it's like obviously being director of communications you've worked with some maybe new entrants some younger um, people starting on the PR career and obviously now I think there's more women well presumably there's more women coming into the um, sector and the profession is there anything still though that you've sort of been as sort of as a leader um, a manager been able to sort of step back and sort of notice that's going on in the workplace that your younger colleagues your younger members of staff have had to sort of put up with and, and experience is this is the one thing that you think should change immediately um in in uh, pr departments um the one thing i i think that is the sort of is i have an issue with um is I don't think we value the diversity in all its forms. So diversity from, you know, whatever background people come from, you know, all the, the, the um, diversity sort of strands, but also just the diversity of thought. We tend to, it's like with a lot of professions, um, and we, you know, you could see it in policing, you tend to recruit people who follow the same as the people who are doing the recruiting so you're recruiting people who are exactly like you 
And in communication, and in lots of respects, you know, in lots of businesses, that might not be an issue. It's a massive issue for policing because you're not representing communities if you are particularly, you know, getting one side of people. I think it's massively important for communication and PR because we're trying to communicate with all sections mm. of communities and all various diverse um, kind of elements and communities. And if not that with fashion, then we're really going to struggle. You know, we're really going to face um, hurdles and barriers. Whilst, again, there's massive steps forward in a lot of that. I think within the workplace, we, people need to be comfortable to be themselves and have different thoughts and come up with new ideas and feel um, able to, to take a different approach to something. And just because we've always done something in a very particular way, it doesn't mean you can't try something new or that you can't try something a little bit different or take a slightly different approach. So I think that's the thing for me. I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd loved to see people come through who were themselves and you would bring everything that they brought with them um, and, and make challenge your thinking on try a different thing. And, you know, you could have some really productive discussions and come up with some really, you know, you know, really take steps steps forward in your communication and campaigns whatever if you've got that level of of um kind of diversity around you yeah so i would imagine amanda from all that the teams that you run are very inclusive yeah i mean certainly <laughs> I've tried, i tried to be is that you know people felt empowered to be themselves so they you know particularly i mean it, it was always so uh, an added extra for me because we work, you know, the teams I was up until recently I was uh, running were in a very uniformed, structured uh, workplace, which is really easily going to squash creativity. And, you know, it, it, so that's why for me it became a little haven almost where people could be a little bit more themselves and. That wasn't easy and it created difficulties because, you know, very senior police officers can find very creative people quite difficult, um, you know, to, to understand because um, they're on such a different kind of wavelength. Um, so a lot of it was around trying to bridge bridge the two areas, you know, and, and get them to get the, the senior police officers to see the value of people thinking in that very creative way um and also encourage the, the my creative people to senior police officers behave in a particular way because they come from a structured environment and, and for very good reasons why they have to kind of work in it and manage themselves in a particular way yeah i absolutely um yeah with that if, just go on to the next question if i may amanda just mm. following on from that a little bit um, I mean, obviously, you're at the top of the tree where you are. You have been chair of the PR, is it PRCA? What yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, I was the chair last year. I was the chair of the PRCA Council, which is the Public Relations and Communications Association have um, a council, which is just made up of uh, people from all kinds of different sectors, in-house, agency, freelance, um, and it discusses kind of issues affecting the industry and hopefully comes up with some um, ways forward, suggestions and things like that. So, yeah, so that, yeah, up until last year, that's what I was, I was doing. So, as I say, top of the tree, sort of years and years of experience, um, a guru, dare I say, just 
if there was somebody listening to this who was probably in a totally unrelated career and sort of really was looking from the outside into into PR, how easy now is it to get into PR and what advice would you give them? Um, Firstly, I'm not a guru. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say so. No, no, I I just give people my experiences um and you know and and advice i i i wouldn't say i'm a guru at all in terms of looking i think you know i i love uh pr comms i think it's amazing the reason i've always been so passionate about it is i think you can see the direct impact you can have so if you want to have a positive impact in communities um you can really do that you know and you can have a real connection with people um across all elements you know we've discussed a lot um when i was on the chair of the prsa council last year we discussed a lot about so you know pr for social good um, and how do you kind of do, you know, there's lots of kind of theoretic discussions around all that. But actually, you know, I can see the benefit that it can have. And in terms of if you're looking to, I hope people are going to want to move into it because, you know, I think it's it's so diverse. It gives you huge rewards. You know, it's got so, you know, for me, back when I was a journalist, I loved the fact that every day you never really knew what was going to happen. And it's the same with PR and comms. You just don't know what's going to happen because you're going to be called into lots of different things. Things will arrive, you know, stuff may change. And and you've that spontaneity is, I think, really attractive. Um, you know, particularly if, you, if you're kind of a person who is that creative type that doesn't, doesn't like the structures too much. Um, and in terms of advice to get into it, it's, I mean, everything's challenging at the minute and that, you know, it's not, it's not easy at the moment. And I think the key bit is to um, just, again, keep plugging away. Just be, if you really want to find out about it, go and speak to people, um, have a look at the apprenticeships and things that are available. Cause it's, a, it's an amazing array of like PR and um, comms related to apprenticeships that, that can help people get into it. Um, or just look at, you know, trying to go as an intern or get some uh, additional kind of um, insight into into what, what goes on. Um, for me, that's something I always tried to do was where I could is, is get people some work experience and get people in. And we actually managed to recruit a few people who, who literally had come to us for work experience and then said, oh, this is what I want to do. So I think it is very much like that. I think it is quite perhaps quite a marmite profession sometimes you 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 either want to do it or you don't I don't think you can kind of be sort of half-hearted about it um because of the amount of effort and and kind of uh of time effort and passion you know and and blood sweat and tears goes into what you do so um but just find out about it and then you know go and, and hopefully give it a go brilliant brilliant so yeah Anybody listening to that, I mean, yeah, there's a load of different routes there that you've outlined, Amanda. Thank you. Just while we're on the topic of that, um, as I say, I always ask my guests this, totally cheesy. And if I'm being a bit, being a bit self-indulgent for me, because I always like I always like this little bit. So if we could take you back to sort of when you started your career, maybe when you changed from journalism into PR, you know, there, what if you could go back now and meet yourself, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would. I would say uh, you can do it. 
and bad times will pass because I think you get caught up touching the potential negatives and I've got lots of advice not to move into PR when I move from journalism from journalists and editors um so I would have loved somebody to say you know tough times will pass and you know just just you can do it so it's a bit like a lot of women I think you struggle you struggle with that self-confidence Sure. And there's but, lots but, of times in the last few years that I've, you, you know, going back over the years where you just go, can I do, am I doing the right thing? Is this what I should be doing? Um, so I'd love to be able to say to myself, yeah, you can do it. Just do it. Do you know what's really nice, Amanda? Um, as I say, despite what you say, I call you a guru of PR. Well, you're certainly the most experienced PR person that I know. Um, so, but it's just, it's, it's really nice to hear that at the start of your career, there was a, tadge of imposter syndrome kicking in and it's it, it well I always think it's a bit like a generation thing this but it, it 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 flags itself up to all generations doesn't it I hear millennials talking about it I t- hear gen Zers talking about it it's just it, it it's just one of the things that society generates I think and I'm sorry I'm on my soapbox here a little bit no, but... <laughs> I, yeah I, I totally I totally agree with you and and it's something I've had you know at times over the years um where you just suddenly you'll I'll get I'll, you know and, and they'll come out of the blue really for me I don't know other people where I'll just be be in a meeting or I'd have been I'll wake up one morning and I'll look at what I'm, and I'll go why are you it was a bit like this with the book why are you writing a book you know and you get that little evil voice in your head that goes what do you know about that or why you, do you think you can you know it's oh, what are you doing here it's really difficult um and like everybody I just have to keep going nope not listening to you not listening um and try and plug away but yeah I think um I think women perhaps talk about it more than men and I'm sure but I'm sure men must feel it I'm convinced that men must feel it um I particularly having you know been in some really difficult circumstances with quite senior um uh, members of, of police forces and everything else I know that, that they you know they're somewhere that's getting that little voice they just don't say it whereas I think women are much more comfortable saying oh you know this is how I feel absolutely 100% I'm with you on that yeah it just it'd be nice if it could be a little bit more honest but that that's the difference between the sexes isn't it <laughs> and you could say that I can't possibly comment but yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, we're coming up to nearly 30 minutes now, Amanda. So that that's brilliant. Thank you so much. There's been so much there that I'm sure will be, well, it's, it's been brilliant for me and I'm sure it'd be brilliant for anybody that's listening. So thank you so much for your time. Just from me to wish you well with your new venture and to wish you well with the book. And when we all get back to normal, I expect you to see on panels around the country in the TV, sort of giving advice on how to how companies can run their crisis comms. So thank you, Amanda. That's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks, Irina. So there you have it, wisdom and empowerment from Amanda. My sincere thanks go to her for taking the time out at this crucial time. Also, I'm grateful for her openness and honesty in talking about her career to date and some of the obstacles she faced and how she surmounted them. 
I hope her words had some impact for you and you found value in what she covered. Finally, my thanks go to you for staying with us and continuing to listen. It's immensely appreciated, especially so in these challenging times. I'd like to think we're at the beginning of the annihilation of this toxic disease and the harm it does. And it goes without saying that I wish all the listeners health, sanity and the ability to keep their head above water. As ever, take care and stay safe.